It's all about some wrestling. Babbling. Babbling. Let's get to babbling. It's all about some wrestling. Salutations, Marks. It's your boy Bobby, that bearded kid, a.k.a. Young Facial Hair, a.k.a. Tony Schiavone's blinging ass earring that's in one of his ears. I can't remember which one it is. <laughs> and welcome to another installment of Babble Mania, the podcast where we ramble about professional wrestling. We keep it raw, we bring the dynamite, and if you disagree, you just may feel the smackdown. Yes, you heard that correctly. No more power. But I feel like I've heard a shockwave travel throughout the world of professional wrestling. Maybe we'll talk about that at a later date. For now, let's get into it. Let's get hairy. Oh my God, Sting is back. You know how it goes, ladies and gentlemen. When the bell makes a sound, we hit the ground running. And right now we are running towards Monday Night Raw, the November 30th edition of Monday Night Raw. Uh, the show kicks off with a moment of bliss. And it's all Funhouse vibes. And there's a really strange centerpiece. Um, Alexa Bliss is obviously in her new getup. Uh, she's got the little Funhouse font, Funhouse graphics all over the Trons and the arena. It's very, very interesting. But the most noticeable thing about this episode of, of A Moment of Bliss is this very, very strange centerpiece that is in between her and uh, the other chair that is empty for her guest. It's a cage with a doll in it. And it's very, very odd, but I'm very, very certain as most people probably are, that it's a very, very big symbol for the trapped soul of Alexa Bliss. I think that that's uh, what that represented. It's just, it's, it's her in a cage. It's that, that doll, in my opinion, is the old Alexa Bliss. And this new Alexa Bliss that we have is, is not the real one. I think that's what they want us to believe. And I will wholeheartedly believe it. Because as I have stated many times on this podcast before, this is, in my opinion, the best thing going on in the company right now. It very, just because of longevity. I am also very much into the Roman Reigns situation that we have on our hands, but Bray Wyatt has kind of been on the top, in my opinion, for a very long time. It, completely biased, first of all. <laughs> if you listen to this podcast on a regular basis, you know that. But I digress and I move forward. Um, her guest on this episode of A Moment of Bliss is Randy Orton, whom she introduces, and he nervously makes his way down to the ring, kind of surveying everything around him, and then when he gets down to the ring, she replays the footage from last week where The Fiend caused Randy to lose to AJ Styles, and after this, she kind of goes on to say that maybe Randy should be asking himself, why is this happening to me? Well... Randy rebuttals by saying that him and The Fiend are actually quite similar. Uh, the Fiend wears his pain on his exterior, while Randy himself wears it on the inside so he can blend in. Um, I thought that was actually very, very lovely, very poetic, very solid line. Um, quite brilliant, to be completely honest. Um, he continues to kind of say that he needs to find the fiend's vulnerability. He needs to find what makes the fiend open up. And he believes that he has in Alexa Bliss, which I also really like. She responds by asking him, who is manipulating who? And that's when the lights start to go out. And when they turn back on, the fiend is in the ring, but Randy is holding Alexa. Kind of like a, like a groom would hold his like new bride. 
and the fiend just looks kind of confused and baffled. And he slowly walks towards Randy and Alexa, and he extends his arms out, asking Randy to place her in his arms. And that's when Randy gets closer and closer and then just kind of transfers her. And as soon as he does, he rolls out of the ring. And the fiend is left in the ring holding Alexa Bliss. And Randy is on the ramp laughing and kind of saying, uh, who's laughing now? Um, I don't know. This was very, very good. The fiend and Alexa looked angry. Well, the Fiend looked angry. Alexa looked kind of concerned. I thought that this was a fantastic opening to the show with very good story progression in their feud. Um, but I want to make one thing very clear. Randy cannot <laughs> go over another Bray Wyatt gimmick. Okay? It's just it's not going to fucking happen, in my opinion. If Randy goes over the Fiend through Alexa, I will riot. I don't care how it's done. I don't care what the decision is to make Randy go over the Fiend. It's not a good decision. I don't care how much sense it makes. I don't care how logical it is. It just, it can't happen again. It just, it can't. Randy, in my opinion, Randy was the nail in the coffin for Bray Wyatt's Eater of Worlds gimmick. And I know that a lot of people weren't going to take Bray Wyatt seriously anymore. After that match, I knew that the worms appearing on the uh, the canvas were like always going to be a thing that we laughed and joked about. But him beating Randy at WrestleMania and retaining his title could have done something for him. Anything. And the fact that it could happen again is re like it's th they did it before, and that's why I'm thinking about it. I'm not one of those guys that likes to point holes. In, in WWE and just automatically throw them under the bus and say that they're going to do something stupid. But they've done this before. Randy, you know, after beating Bray Wyatt at WrestleMania, I was upset. And I there was a lot of people on the internet who were like, well, that didn't need to happen, you know. And I, I personally believe, for me, that that was the downfall of the Eater of Worlds character. After that, it was like, well, how can anybody take him seriously anymore? You know? Which is very, very strange to think about and talk about. Long story short, I do not want to see Randy defeat the Fiend in any way or form. Period. Um, he cannot defeat two of Bray's characters. This is the one that he absolutely has to fall to. We move on to the first match of the night, which is a Symphony of Destruction match between Jeff Hardy and Elias. Musical instruments are amok, and I personally could not wait to see how that they were going to be used. Uh, the first noticeable spot for me was Elias taking guitar picks and kind of lining them between his fingers around his like knuckle area and using them to punch Jeff Hardy in the face and dig into Jeff Hardy's face. I thought it was really interesting. It was like a Guitar Center Wolverine type situation. Uh, the next one was in favor of Hardy, who dodged like a midsection shot with a guitar neck and caused Elias to stab that into a speaker, which electrocuted Elias, which I thought was hilarious because he sold it in a very funny way. <laughs> he also then received a massive shot to the back with an upright bass, and I thought that was kind of brutal. And the match came to an end when Jeff Hardy delivers a swanton bomb 
from the top of the ring post to a sprawled-out Elias who is on top of a table on the floor with various stringed instruments on his body. And this spot was really scary because Hardy actually hit the back of his head and neck on the very bottom step of the ring stairs. Um, and, that w- and it made a very, very alarming noise. It was actually super scary and instantly had me worried. But apparently he is fine and he is okay, which is good. Um, I think this is probably the end of their feud. I mean, they didn't really build up anything for them to have a match at, like, the next pay-per-view event. I can't really see them having a TLC match now that they've had a match with no disqualifications and weapons and stuff like that. I don't know what's next for either of them. I was really hoping that this would culminate in a bit of an alliance, to be honest. Not a tag team, just a, a mutual friendship of the two. I wanted them to find out that it was somebody else who hit Elias with that car eight months ago. Um, just for the sake of Hardy's reputation and maybe Elias could go face again because I thought it was a really good face. <clears throat> but yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I'm kind of glad to see it over. It's It's been a little monotonous for the past few weeks. I don't know. I mean, it's been great. It's given us some like fun stuff to watch, but it's nothing really grand. Um, we move on to the next match of the night, which is uh, Ricochet versus Slapjack. And, I don't know, we haven't seen Retribution since before Survivor Series, and they didn't even do anything at Survivor Series at all. So honestly, at this point, it's like very challenging for me to care. Um, I also don't understand why Ricochet versus Ali would happen before this match. Like, why would you give us Ricochet versus Ali, have Ali win the match, and then give us Ricochet versus Slapjack? In retrospect... Maybe Ricochet working his way through all of Retribution before taking out the leader would have been cool. That would have been a good idea. You know, like if he, like him versus Slapjack, he wins. Him versus Mace, he wins. Him versus T-Bar, he wins. Him versus Ali, he wins. And he's kind of like defeated all of them. And then they all gang up on him and they put a stupid mask on his face. And lo and behold, he's a new member of Retribution. And his name is like... uh pretty Ricky, <laughs> or something like that, um, I don't know, it's just, that would have been cool, and why further this, if you've already beaten Ricochet, you already beat Ricochet clean, why further it, and I don't know, it just doesn't make any sense to me, this match really wasn't anything special, um, Slapjack getting the win doesn't feel important, I don't know, it just, it's, it's aggravating, I can, I can tell what they're going for. They're obviously going for this, uh, we're going to pull him in and beat him down no matter what he says, and maybe he'll join us, but it's just, I don't know, they keep doing things like backwards, in my opinion, when it comes to this Retribution storyline, and it's getting very, very aggravating. Uh, Dana approaching Ali and slapping him, asking him where uh, Reckoning was, that was kind of interesting, but still, meh, you know. It is what it is. I don't know. Let's move on. Next segment, Ms. TV. Tonight's guest is Seamus, uh, whose look has suddenly grown on me for some reason. I don't know what happened, but when he was standing in the ring and I really just took a good look at him and he had the hat and he's got like the taped up hands and the, the jacket, I don't know what it was. I literally have no idea what happened, but I no longer think that it's ridiculous and I kind of think it's cool. 
I don't know. There's just something about it that, like a light bulb went off. I have no idea. Um, what hasn't grown on me, however, is Miz and Morrison's new catchphrase. Correct. That shit is garbage. I do not like it. Big yuck. Level 2 IQ. Sorry, not sorry. Anyways, Miz and Morrison try their best to drive a wedge between Seamus and McIntyre, who are obviously close pals, but Seamus responds with a laugh. And that is when Miz stops playing games and gets very, very serious, and he asks Seamus how it feels to be an afterthought and tells him that his career is a joke. Great, great heel work from Miz right there. That's actually the Miz that I have come to love to hate over the years. When there's like no fun in games, he's very serious, he's loud. That's the Miz that I like because he's brutal and I can appreciate it. Um, Seamus obviously gets agitated at this and attacks the two of them in like really cool like brawl room style, but is eventually struck in the back by the Money in the Bank briefcase. Um, first of all, more angry Miz, please. Like, that is what I need more than anything out of the Miz. Like, I've, I've said multiple times on this podcast that the Miz is not one of the guys that I am a fan of. And he kind of reminds me of John Cena, to be completely honest. You know, like John Cena, I really liked to dislike, but I respected the shit out of him. And I do respect the shit out of him. And that's kind of how I feel about the Miz. I know he's been doing it for a long time. I don't think he has humble beginnings, to be completely honest, because we all know where he started. But The Miz has done a really good job of being relevant for a very long time, and I respect him for that. And I love it when The Miz is angry and pissed off and says really, like, button-pushing things. That's what I like. I kind of like it when Miz almost, like, breaks kayfabe in his heel characters. And he talks about the very real you know, grind of being a professional wrestler in the WWE. How sometimes you can be there for 15 years and you've never done anything. I really like when he does that, so I want more of that. Um, in my opinion, it's the only thing he's good at. Sorry, not sorry. Another matchup, and this time it's Asuka and Lana versus Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler. Uh, before the match starts, Jax and Baszler have a bit of tension between them because Shayna believes that they lost last week because of Jax's failure to take out Lana. Um, seconds into this match, Jax is already botching. And I noticed it like right off the bat and it instantly turned everything off for me. It is a reminder as to why I don't think highly of her. Um, she is so good at being hateful, but like, come on. I just, like, ugh, it's got me flustered. When I think of Nia Jax, the first thing I think about is how good she is at being rude and sassy and mean and playing that, like, really, really terrible person as a character. But the second thing I think of is how unbelievably sloppy she is in the ring. And it's very strange to me that she is aligned with Shayna. Shayna literally talked about Lana's performance as an athlete she talked about how she's not an athlete and how she is. And then for Nia Jax to botch within seconds of this match kind of really showed me that Shayna is kind of like aligned with a non-athlete herself. I don't know. It's very, it's, it's, it's very good to talk about because it's one of those like non, 
wrestling. Because, like, I don't know, man. It's weird. <laughs> it's kind of like... It makes me dislike her and Baszler being a team. Um, I just don't want to see it anymore. I don't know. It's just... I don't want to see Nia Jax until she is worth seeing. Point blank, period. Um, the fact that they lost was really good because of all this. It kind of makes the fact that they lost even better. Lana getting the pinfall feels good, but her riding the coattails of Asuka doesn't feel like a proper way to build someone up. Um, if she can't do it by herself, we will always be aware of that. And I think that that's something they need to change very, very quickly. Especially now that I have this uncovered <laughs> disdain for Nia Jax. I've always wanted Nia Jax to be great. And there was a point in time where I was like, yes, give me more Nia Jax. But I don't know, at this point I'm kind of sick of it. She's almost too good at being mean. Like it sounds too real. Is that weird? Is that a weird thing to believe that it's almost too real? Because that's what they want us to believe. But I don't know, I've always loved the fact that, like, I know that wrestling is all characters and stuff like that, you know? But, like, Nia Jax feels too much like an actual mean person. So I laugh when she botches. <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to move on. All I know is I, I really want Lana to, like, succeed in some way or form without being in anyone's shadow. Um... But we move on to Xavier and Kofi Kingston who make their way down to the ring. And Kofi announces that Xavier is the new host of a returning G4, which is very exciting. I loved G4 TV when I was growing up. I watched all the shows. And knowing that it's coming back is very exciting, especially in today's day and age. But knowing that it's coming back and Xavier Woods is hosting it is incredible. I'm so very happy for him. Xavier gives an acceptance speech before they both start bragging about their three recent victories over the Hurt Business. And this brings out the Hurt Business uh, and MVP, who kind of counter their argument. But then something noticeable happens. Cedric Alexander gets in the ring and kind of snaps on the New Day, kind of leaving MVP and Shelton Benjamin taken aback. And that is when we get our next match for the night, Xavier Woods versus Cedric Alexander. Um, high impact throughout this match, very, very fast-paced, very much noticeable chemistry between the two of them, and a very more intense Cedric Alexander, who's almost fighting like he's fed up with the New Day, which is good, like that's what needs to happen. Um, Cedric's powerbomb reversal into a brain buster, insane. Uh, Xavier's suicida reversal into the barricade was also a great spot. This was a very quick match, but Cedric getting the win was surprising and good for this new potential ego-driven character, which is furthered by him celebrating on his own rather than with his THB brethren. Very, very interesting. It's It was shocking when Cedric Alexander beat Xavier Woods. I was like, holy moly, that's crazy. But it was even more shocking when he just rolled out of the ring and left Shelton and MVP hanging. I don't know what they're going to do with this, but I am very excited about it. Um, I've been kind of wanting to see some tension between the Hurt Business for a minute. I don't want to see them fall out yet because I think that they're, they're doing pretty good things. Um, but I do really like the idea of there being some tension 
uh, between them in some way or form that I think could be highlighted. Uh, quickly moving on into our next match, and it's the big one. Sudden death triple threat match to determine who faces Drew McIntyre for his WWE championship. Uh, Riddle, Keith Lee, AJ Styles. Before the match, we have more hilarious rhetoric from Riddle towards AJ and Omis. Uh, Riddle is so nonchalant outside the ring that it makes his in-ring abilities that much more enjoyable. This match has everything going for it. And did it deliver? Big yes, in my opinion. Keith Lee shouldn't be able to hang with AJ and Riddle in the agility department, but it is always pleasant when he shows us that he actually can do stuff like that. This match was incredibly balanced, full of great wrestling, and it really conveyed the idea that these men are indeed fighting for something that they want really, really badly, making the title feel very, very important. Uh, Lee using Riddle as a weapon on AJ was great. Uh, Lee kicking out and throwing AJ into a pinfall attempt was also great. The final sequence in the end was fantastic. Very solid match. Made AJ's win feel very, very deserved. And I'm sure that Riddle and Keith Lee are going to get their spotlight at some point in time. But AJ versus Drew at this point should be absolutely phenomenal. No pun intended. I'm very excited. This whole segment was really, really good. I love Riddle backstage. He is unbelievably funny and... They're doing a really good job of presenting him as, like, the stoner character without really ever mentioning <laughs> weed or anything like that. It's very, very good, and I like it a lot. Um, Riddle's character development, just fantastic right now. And like I said, I love that balance. I love that Riddle is like this dopey character in the back, but when he gets in the ring, it's like... No fun in games. It's incredible. I'm a really big fan of it. And Keith Lee, man. I love Keith Lee. I think that him and Riddle... I think the future of wrestling, as far as WWE goes, I think the future of professional wrestling is in very good hands in the WWE, if it is in the hands of people like Riddle and Keith Lee. Um, just a breath of fresh air. And AJ getting the win feels right, you know? Because, like, I would love to see Drew McIntyre versus Riddle. I would love to see Drew McIntyre versus Keith Lee. Good Lord, that would be amazing. But, but, AJ versus, <clears throat> excuse me, oh my gosh, AJ versus Drew should be absolutely banging. And I can't wait for it. Especially with this Drew. I actually think we're going to see something crazy happen with that situation. But we'll talk about that a little bit closer towards TLC. Another match is up next, and it is Dana Brooke versus Reckoning. This continues because of the uh, attack on Dana, but it's also the very first time we've ever seen Reckoning in action. And unfortunately, right off the bat, she loses her mask, and no one acknowledges it. No one. Nobody on commentary. It was very, very weird. And it was one of those situations where I can imagine everybody in the back was like, Fuck, did that just happen? I just, it's, it was bothersome. It made me worried for everybody. I was like, oh no, this isn't good. I mean, of course, they're not going to talk about it and acknowledge it. I did not expect them to be like, oh my God, that's Mia Yim. I didn't expect that to happen. 
But I don't know. It would have been nice if somebody was just like, she lost her mask. Just a little, you know, like, like don't point her out. Don't say, don't tell us. Who. We all know who it is. That's why, you know, like we know who they are. It also makes me wonder if we will ever get an unmasking, you know, like maybe even a turn on Ali where they all kind of go back to their former selves. I think that would be really cool. Actually, with the way that Retribution is going, I think that would be the most interesting thing to do at this point. Because, like, I don't give a shit anymore. I'm going to be honest. I mean, like, Retribution had so much potential, in my opinion. And everything's been done so backwards and so weirdly that I just can't hop aboard anymore. I want to, but I can't. I would really like to see Retribution, one by one, lose. And just continue to lose and look like idiots. And then they all just turn their backs on Ali. And they just take their masks off and they're like, you know what? Screw this. I'm going back to being... Dominic, I'm going back to being Mia Yim and like screw you, Ali. You're terrible. You suck. We're going back to NXT. I think that'd be really cool. But I don't know. This was a very uncomfortable situation. The match itself was short and felt very disconnected after the mask fell off. Uh, Reckoning loses, once again creating the idea that Retribution isn't the threatening force that they appear to be. But afterwards was the most bothersome thing, in my opinion. Ali got in the ring and just started going off on Reckoning. Just felt idiotic, you know? Like, first of all, you're kind of the reason she lost the match. So, like, why act like she just isn't getting the job done? You got on the apron and you distracted the both of them, and your girl lost. That's your fault. Secondly, why say... There's no losers in Retribution because there obviously is. You and Slapjack are the only people who have gotten a clean win. And I don't even think Slapjack's was that clean. I don't know, man. It's just backwards. Ali is starting to look like a real big asshole. And Retribution is starting to look real, not threatening. It's about to the point of needing to be scrapped. But hey, I am sitting here talking about it, so I guess that counts for something. With all that being said, we move on to our main event of the evening. A tag team match placing Drew McIntyre and Sheamus against Miz and Morrison. Sheamus has been kind of pinpointed before this match as someone who is going to turn on his friend. Um, and I think that that's really smart to acknowledge because Sheamus has been the bad guy for a long time. But when he talks to his old pal Drew McIntyre... He's very likable and very sweet, and you can tell that they have an authentic connection between the two of them. So for Keith Lee to approach Sheamus and be like, hey, I just wanted to let you know that it's going around that you're going to turn on Drew, and that's not cool. And I really liked how Sheamus handled it. He was just like, okay, I am going to turn on him, whatever. And then he went to the ring, and we kind of had this combination of things that like Drew should be worried about. Because we had Sheamus being called out for potentially turning on his friend. Uh, we have AJ on commentary who stated earlier in the night that he is going to help Miz cash in because it's going to be easier for him to beat the Miz <laughs> uh, than it is going to be for him to beat Drew McIntyre. And we have Miz and Morrison. Miz having the money in the bank briefcase. Drew has all of this drama to worry about especially in this match, but seems to be battling it all with just 
overconfidence, and it's justified, and it's very, very good for his attitude. I really like that. It's almost as if when all the cards are stacked against Drew McIntyre, he just blows him down and like doesn't give a shit. That's really, really good, and that's kind of the character that he's become over the last few months, this you-can't-do-anything-to-stop-me character, and it's really, really great, and he proves that even in the small things. You know, he didn't look worried in this match at all. He looked confident. He looked strong. He looked like he was wanting to beat people up, and that is fantastic. Drew never really got into this match, though, because Sheamus never tags him, and I thought that that was really interesting because, in my opinion, it's almost as if he was protecting Drew to prove all the naysayers wrong. You know, if, if someone is going to cash in, why bring him in the match and let him risk that happening? Why bring him in the match and have him get beat up so he is weaker for a cash-in? I thought it was really considerate, and it wasn't even explained in any way or form. I thought that that was really great. It was like they wanted us to catch that on our own, and I appreciated that because I did. I mean, in my opinion, that's what happened. It was just Seamus saying, hey, I don't want my friend to get in here and lose his belt. I don't want my friend to get in here and get beat up so he can lose his belt easier, so I'm not going to tag him in. It was like the ultimate sacrifice. It was pretty cool. AJ interfering and getting Miz and Morrison disqualified was not what Miz and Morrison wanted because they got very mad at that. But it may be why Miz's cash-in didn't get to happen. So, beggars cannot be choosers, Mr. Miz. <laughs> First of all. Secondly, it's very strange to me that AJ wanted the Miz... Like, to me, this made sense. AJ interfering when he did was correct. What wasn't correct was how Miz reacted to it. That's the Miz's fault. It's not AJ's fault that you didn't hop on board and go for the cash-in. I don't know why you didn't want it to happen that way. A cash-in is a cash-in. You had the opportunity. You lost it. Beggars can't be choosers. That's just the way it goes. The show comes to an end with Omis carrying AJ like a toddler and AJ the entire time is just talking smack to Drew who keeps shouting out to AJ that this is the closest he's ever going to get to the title um I thought it was a, honestly a little bit of a lackluster ending to be completely real I don't know it just this was an okay episode of Raw the opening felt a little misplaced I feel like that should have happened towards the end of the show, to be completely honest. The show as a whole wasn't as good as recent weeks, but still it was pretty okay. Um, on the beard scale, this episode of Monday Night Raw gets a beard that's fallen off to reveal a not-so-surprising face underneath it. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, with all that being said, we are moving on to SmackDown. Yes, the recipe here on Babelmania is changing. I figured it would make more sense if instead of talking about Raw and then talking about Dynamite and then talking about SmackDown, I figured I would lump both WWE programs together. Um, I talked about them in order of appearance and in order of watching them, but after thinking about it, I was like, you know what? I should group WWE together and then save Dynamite for the end of the program. Um, I don't know, it just feels right to me, so that's what we're going to do. So we are going to be discussing 
the December 4th edition of SmackDown Live. Uh, the show kicks off with a tribute to Pat Patterson. Uh, this man gave me my favorite event of the year in the Royal Rumble, and I was very, very saddened to hear that he had passed on. And what I really liked about this episode of SmackDown was it showed how important he was. Pat Patterson might be one of the most noticeable losses that we've suffered in quite some time in WWE. This man was in the business for a very long time. He did so much for so many people. Uh, he was openly gay. He was one of, actually, he might have been the first openly, yeah, he was. Pat Patterson was the first openly gay uh, wrestler of his generation. And I think that everything he did for the business, for the gay community, for professional wrestling in general is very, very important. And although I am very saddened to hear that he has passed on, there's a legacy that he has left behind that will always be remembered and talked about. And the show kicks off with everybody at the top of the stage, and they pay homage to him with the uh, ceremony of the ten, the ten bells. And it was very touching. And all I have to say is, rest in peace, Pat Patterson. Uh, after the tribute is over, Kayla Braxton is in the ring, and she introduces Roman for an exclusive interview. And she basically goes heel by introducing Roman like he's the best thing since sliced bread. Like, it was insane. She spoke of him so highly, and when he comes down to the ring, he, like, doesn't even acknowledge it. It was very, very genius in my opinion the first thing that he does is he critiqued her announcement which I thought was fantastic for her to butter him up the way that she did and then for him to come down to that ring <laughs> and just say that she did a terrible job was incredible heel work so she plays a video package that kind of recaps what happened last week and Roman just calls her out he says that this is the most important and most relevant thing that she has ever done, and she is wasting it because her questions and insights are stupid. He then tells Heyman to put her in her place, and that is when Kevin Owens interrupts and strolls down to the ring. He gets in the ring, and he says, Why wait? Let's do this. Let's do this now. And Jay, like, yanks the microphone out of Paul Heyman's hands and accepts it. Despite Paul Heyman's obvious anger at the fact that he just did that. Kevin Owens says that he was not talking to him and challenges Roman to a tables, ladders, and chairs match at TLC for the title. Roman responds by telling him that there's a woman in the ring and that he needs to grow up, and they literally just walk out. That's when KO grabs a mic, calls him a bitch as they're walking out, and this whole segment was... Like, it was great. And the reason it was great was because of all the psychological tactics that we should have taken in. Avoidance, narcissism, gaslighting. Roman's character just gets worse and worse as the weeks pass. And I think that it's absolutely brilliant. Besides Bray Wyatt, The Fiend, and Alexa Bliss... Roman Reigns is the most interesting thing in the company right now. It is absolutely phenomenal what he is doing. 
and oh my gosh, I just can't get over it. Just avoiding questions, avoiding the truth, turning problems on everybody else, just absolutely brilliant. Just, oh my gosh. Uh, but another thing that's getting worse as the weeks pass is Jay, who seems to be like losing his mind. He is so confused and broken, and I, I don't know how much more he can take. And it gets worse as the night goes on, and we'll talk about it later. But for now, we're going to move on to the first match of the night, which is Bailey versus Natalia with uh, Bianca Belair on commentary. This was nothing special. Uh, Natty did win clean, which I thought was awesome. Good for her. That feels good, especially against someone like Bailey. Uh, but more importantly, this was just furthering the idea of a Bailey and Belair feud, which I would personally really, really like to see. And I'd also really like to see Bianca Belair go over because it's Bianca Belair, and I think she's great, and I think she's going to do big things. But I also thought the same thing about Rhea Ripley, and although she has been killing it in NXT, uh, there was a moment where I thought she was going to come up to the main roster and run shit, and she didn't. And I wish that they would not have you know, teased us like that. But the future isn't even written yet, so we'll just have to see where that goes. Um, after this, we get a beautiful, beautiful video memorial for Pat, and it was absolutely lovely. I cried, and I don't know, man, just shouts out to Pat Patterson, for the love of God. What a great man he was. And I don't know, man, I've always... <sighs> Professional wrestling has always been very, very meaningful to me, and over the many, many years that I've been watching wrestling, I've obviously seen a lot of people, you know, pass. And it's just so touching at how they they tug on your heartstrings. You know, because we don't know these people. We're just fans. But I do think it's a bit beautiful that they have pulled something out of us that makes us feel as if we did know them, you know. Because I cried like a baby when Eddie Guerrero passed away. And... I'm probably going to do it several times in my life when other people pass away. And I just think that that's a great thing. And I think it's great to kind of acknowledge like your own feelings. You know what I'm saying? Um, Pat Patterson was obviously a great man. And I don't know, I just... I'm glad that they sent him off the way that they did. You could tell that they thought very, very highly of him. Because they didn't just give him a little bit of a, a memorial photo, graphic thingamajig. They didn't just give him the tin... Uh, rings of the bell they gave him everything they gave him multiple video packages and tweets and I don't know it was really really great and it kind of showed how much they appreciated him and I think that that's good for his legacy so uh, speaking of we move on to the next match of the night which is a Pat Patterson tribute match uh, it's Daniel Bryan Rey Mysterio and Big E versus Dolph Ziggler Shinsuke Nakamura and Sami Zayn in a six-man tag team match with the original intercontinental title on the outside of the ring the very first one that pat patterson won back in like 1975 um super cool seeing that also super cool seeing big e with a new entrance theme that is wale which is awesome and the powder is back and listen i don't want big e to slowly turn into the old Big E because that did not work. We all know that. If it would have worked, it would have worked. It didn't work. 
But I really like the idea of him bringing back maybe some of those older tactics that he used to do, but doing them in a little bit more of a nonchalant, joyous kind of way. More whimsical, more cartoonish, which is what the New Day is now. So I like the fact that the powder was back and he was all excited and he like threw it up in the air and it was fun. I like that. It was a lot better than just seeing him like stone-faced and just not showing any emotions whatsoever. Um, also, really big fan of the new theme. It does feel weird, honestly. It does feel weird because I'm used to the New Day theme and all that jazz. It was kind of like a rude awakening. Like, oh my gosh, it's actually like getting to a point where they're probably going to start like writing off that stuff. Uh, but despite those, you know, uncomfortable feelings, this was a very fun six-man tag. Everybody really had a moment to show off. And it all came to an end when Brian rolled Sammy up in a small package and gets the win for his team. Uh, afterwards, Ziggler kind of ends up in the ring alone with the victors and just suffers a beatdown. It was all for Pat, because Pat was apparently very... Pat and Sammy Zayn were really close, and Pat was also big on Daniel Bryan. And he was just, you know, a fan of everybody and apparently helped so many people in the back, so they wanted to give him a little match and... I just like that it was a feel-good moment. It was a feel-good moment for a feel-good man. And he will always be missed. And I don't know. Life is weird, man. And life is beautiful. And I just, I need people to realize that. You know, at the end of the day, we're all just wrestling fans. And we're just sitting here thinking about it and talking about it. But I think it's really good to acknowledge the stuff that goes on behind the scenes and how helpful certain people can be. And I also think how important it is to stand up for communities that need it. And I think the most important thing about Pat Patterson for me is being openly gay in a business that for a long time was fueled by toxic masculinity. And I think that that's really, really important that he stood up for those people and represented them in some way or form. So I think that that's great. And I think that that's probably the most important thing that he's going to leave behind, in my opinion. That and the Royal Rumble. <laughs> Thank you, Pat Patterson, for the Royal Rumble. Oh, my goodness. If you've listened to this podcast for a long time, you know that this was almost called the Royal Ramble, but I could not name it that because it had already been taken, and that's because I love the Royal Rumble. The Royal Rumble is my favorite event of the year, and it's all because of that man. So, once again, big smooches to Pat Patterson. We'll see you on the other side, I guess, my friend. Moving on to an interview segment, Michael Cole is talking with Carmella and Sasha Banks from the Tron, who are split-screen because they obviously cannot be in the same room. And they basically just argued and got silly for a few moments until Carmella points out that with half the work she's done in her career, she is better than Sasha Banks. And she tells Sasha that she's going to take her title. Sasha accepts this smack talk and it is all set for TLC. So, not really a good build-up, in my opinion. I mean, what am I saying? I'm being one of those wrestling fans again. This has been a pretty solid build-up. Carmella's been attacking Sasha. Sasha got the payback last week. This week they have a spicy uh, confrontation virtually. It has been a pretty solid build-up. But I think a match right now is a little bit too soon because it's too predictable. We all, Like, Sasha's going to win, obviously. Sasha's going to beat Carmella. Like, why not build it up a little bit more 
and let it get a little bit more importance, and then, you know, we'll see what happens there. Because we know that Sasha's probably going to win, so make us want her win, to win. You know what I'm saying? Woo, I want to apologize right now in the middle of the SmackDown discussion. I want to apologize for how all over the place this episode is. Okay, because I am stressed. It's the holidays. I've been stressed about that. I went to a Christmas lights extravaganza thingamajig last night. Didn't get home until like 1.30 in the morning. This past week has been utter chaos. My niece and her two sons are staying with us. And one of them is a little hellion. And <laughs> I've been all over the house just being stressed out, losing track of time. And it's kind of like caused me to fall behind. You know, this episode is actually being recorded, edited, and uploaded on the day of, which is not good. I don't do it like that. I usually have my raw discussion recorded before Dynamite comes on. I usually have my Dynamite discussion recorded before SmackDown comes on, and I usually have my SmackDown discussion recorded before I sit down to edit the entire episode, throw it all together, and make it listenable. But this past week was so chaotic that that didn't get to happen. So now here I am on the day of. My podcast was supposed to come out at 12 o'clock p.m., three and a half hours ago, and here I am rambling about professional wrestling and recording all of these sessions back to back to back, and I can tell that my brain is scattered, and I apologize for that. <sighs> With all that being said, we move on to another match. And this time, it is Murphy versus King Corbin in their rematch. But this time, Corbin has come prepared, like he said he was going to. He walks down to the ring with a couple of homies, who I'm pretty sure were two-thirds of the Forgotten Sons. It was later on confirmed that it was actually two-thirds of the Forgotten Sons. And... I really enjoy the idea of King Corbin aligning with them. I really like the idea of him dropping the King gimmick and reverting back to the Lone Wolf, especially as a leader of the Forgotten Sons. I think that that would be really, really cool. It's just a thought. It's just a little thing that popped into the back of my mind. It's something that doesn't need to happen, but if it did happen, I would really, really like that. Uh, they did definitely even the odds for this match, uh, right when Murphy was like capitalizing, they attacked Dominic and Ray on the outside of the ring, distracting him. This caused Murphy to go after them, and then they ran into the ring. Murphy chased them and ate a big old end of days, and Corbin gets the win. And in my opinion, this was rightfully so, in my humble opinion. What we saw last week was super freaking weird, and I don't know if I liked it or not. The Mysterios did not need to be doing what they were doing. So... In my opinion, Murphy deserved this loss. It was completely justified. And in my personal opinion, I think that this win <laughs> this win was cleaner than the win that Murphy got. Murphy deserved what happened to him on this episode of SmackDown. And I'm glad he lost. And I'm glad that the Forgotten Sons helped. They're probably not going to be the Forgotten Sons anymore. i got to stop saying that. They're, they are literally Forgotten Son. Oh, bazinga. <laughs> Anyways, I really like this. I thought that Corbin deserved this win 
which is a very strange thing to say, but I'm very, very glad that it happened. And I hope that something happens with him and those two guys. Okay, I, I want to see something. I loved Corbin's lone wolf gimmick. I thought it was great. thought it was a good look. Uh, I loved his entrance theme. It was awesome. King Corbin hasn't really worked for me. It hasn't done what uh, the King role has done for so many people. But maybe it's time for a change. Regardless of that, let's change this discussion and move on to our main event. Otis and Kevin Owens versus Jey Uso and Roman Reigns. Now, Roman doesn't come down with Jey Uso. He did say earlier in the night that there would be consequences for Jey Uso's mouth. And his consequence is making Jay believe that he is about to compete in a handicap match against Otis and Kevin Owens. Jay looked genuinely concerned and worried. And then, after a few moments of action, Roman's music hits, and he eventually comes down to the ring and stands on the apron, participating in this tag team match. However, a few moments after that, without being tagged in, Roman runs into the ring, takes out Otis, gets outside the ring, and just starts absolutely massacring him. Just beats the crap out of him. He hit him with the steel stairs like seven or eight times. Just takes him out. And now, it's a 2-1-1 in favor of Reigns and Uso. Because now, we have Jey Uso and Roman Reigns and Kevin Owens all by himself. The tides have changed. And I, I really, really liked that the journey that this match took me on was insane, especially in retrospect. I didn't notice it all until I had really sat down and thought about it, but oh my goodness, we'll talk about it. <clears throat> KO holds his own, and he hits Jay with a Samoan drop, which obviously upset Roman Reigns. Very disrespectful. And we had a bit of a confusing moment where the referee called the match. Like, he literally asked for the bell to be rung. Like, he was going to disqualify Jay and Roman, but it didn't happen. But a few moments later, Roman tells Jay to tag him in so he can finish the match because he's the head of the table. After a small flurry from Kevin Owens, Roman gets in the ring and just chokes out Kevin Owens. And that's what gets him and Jay disqualified. That's when the bell actually gets rung. Uh, him and Jay... Just beat KO down with some nasty chair shots simultaneously, seesaw style. And then something crazy happens. Roman, oh my gosh, this chair shot was insane. Roman Reigns hits Jey Uso in the back with a chair. Just as hard as he can. And the scream that Jey Uso let out was like, dude, it was genuinely heartbreaking. It reminded me of like a child, like getting spanked by their father, you know? Kind of like, like they don't, like they're pun, ah, dude, it's literally making my brain go bananas when I think about all the psychology in this Roman Reigns thing. Roman hits him with this chair and tells him that he keeps having to tell him. I think he hits him a couple of more times, then he shifts his energy towards Kevin Owens and he tells him that he has his attention now. All of this is unbelievable. So, the psychology in this final segment for SmackDown was all driven by Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns made Jey Uso believe that he was going to compete in this match by himself. That was not an accident. It was completely on purpose, and he did it to scare Jey Uso. 
He did it to get Jey Uso on the edge. And then he comes down there. He gets controlling. Tells Jay to do this. Tells Jay to do that. Tells Jay that he wants the spotlight. He wants to get the pinfall victory. When he notices that Jay could either A, take that from him, or B, lose the match for him and Jay, he decides to take things into his own hands, very narcissistic, and get the both of them disqualified. If he can't win, nobody gets to win. More psychological manipulation. And then, after they have this bonding moment, this this family-driven moment where they're both hitting Roman Reigns with a chair, what does he do? He takes that away from Jay. He takes that solid connection away from him and hits him in the back with a chair. And I believe that Jay's selling of that chair shot was what threw it all over the edge for me. If Jay would not have reacted the way he did to that chair shot, I don't think I would have had all of these epiphanies when it comes to the psychology of what we are seeing with this new Roman Reigns character. Jay screamed like a little kid who had been spanked by his father who said that he wasn't going to spank him. And I thought it was absolutely brilliant. And it was heartbreaking. And for Roman to sit there and say the things that he said were completely 100% gaslighting. Because what he was saying is this is your fault. I keep having to tell you what to do, what not to do, what to say, when to shut up, and it doesn't need to happen anymore. So this chair shot that I just delivered to you is not my fault. It's your fault. That's gaslighting, and it's incredible. This is, bro, I am telling you right now, this is the best heel work that I have seen for a long, long time in WWE. This is some, like, top-tier level stuff that is legendary, and I really hope it continues to go well. It is unbelievable. And it's great because they're playing off that natural. I don't know who's behind all of this. I don't know if this was Roman's idea. I don't know if Vince came up with any of this. I don't know who has come up with all of this. I need to do some research on that. But what I do know is it's one of those things in professional wrestling that, in my opinion, need to happen a lot more, especially in the WWE. And that is acknowledging how people treat the superstars. When Bray Wyatt first came back, and when The Fiend was first unveiled, they tried to push him as a heel character. But they couldn't, because people naturally flocked to Bray Wyatt. People stood behind Bray Wyatt when he was the Eater of Worlds. People liked his character. They hated the way that he was booked. They cheered for him. So what do you think is going to happen when you bring him back? People are going to cheer for him. So naturally, WWE said, well, people are cheering for him. Let's just kind of acknowledge that. And they've done that, and it has worked. People naturally booed Roman Reigns. There were so many people who naturally disliked Roman Reigns. I was one of them. So now you've given me a reason to actually boo him, and it feels right. It feels justified. It feels good. What you have to do is you have to take how people treat a superstar and you have to play off that. If people are booing someone, you cannot make them a face. You are not going to make people like that character. But you can make them hate them. 
And that is what has happened with Roman Reigns, and it is absolutely brilliant, and it is insane heel work. This final segment, in my opinion, kind of did a lot for this episode of SmackDown. This episode of SmackDown was an okay episode, but I am going to call it great in honor of Pat Patterson's honor. Um, on the beard scale, this episode of SmackDown gets a beard that nobody is talking about. Oh, yes, ladies and gentlemen, we are finally on our last discussion for this episode of Babblemania. This is AEW's Winter is Coming event, December the 2nd. Winter came, and winter came hard. <laughs> um, I've decided that I really, really, really enjoy the fact that every once in a while, on national television, All Elite Wrestling gives us pay-per-view level quality. I kind of like this composition. Standard wrestling shows with really big wrestling shows from time to time with quarterly pay-per-views. I think that's really good for a promotion to do. I also think it's really good for my wallet. <laughs> and I like the fact that sometimes I can just tune into wrestling on a Wednesday evening on television and see something crazy. This specific episode of Dynamite Winter is Coming kicked off with a battle royal, and this battle royal would determine who's going to face off for the next AEW ring. The last two men standing in this battle royal will be the ones to do so. Uh, the first noticeable moment in this battle royal for me was Hangman Adam Page eliminating Serpentico after he was handled by Silver and Reynolds, and after the elimination, Silver celebrated by jumping on Page's back, who seemed to not really mind it. It was actually kind of lovely. It was kind of adorable, to be completely honest. Uh, later on, Page is actually knocked off the apron, but he is caught by the Dark Order, like crowd-surfing style, and I thought that was really interesting. I don't know if I want to see Page, like, be become a member of the Dark Order, but I really think we could see some funny, <sighs> what's a good word to describe this? I think it would be funny to see him kind of align himself with the Dark Order, just for the antics. I don't see, like, a serious Hangman Adam Page Dark Order transformation happening, but I do think that it could be funny and give us some really great moments, especially between him and Silver. Um, another important moment in this battle royal was how the inner circle, specifically MJF, Sammy Guevara, and Wardlow, just kind of hung out and waited for the ring to almost clear before chiming in. It's a very inner circle thing that they did there. And... At some point, we get to a fun test of strength between Wardlow and Miro. Essentially, the only people left in the ring are MJF, Wardlow, Sammy Guevara, Jungle Boy, and Miro. And we get this great moment where Miro and Wardlow face off, and they just kind of like test each other's limits, and this leads to Miro getting eliminated. Then, they bring their focus on to Jungle Boy, who puts up a really good fight, and at some point finds himself on the top rope with Sammy Guevara. It looks like he's trying to go for 
a Frankensteiner, maybe a Spanish fly. I don't know. But him and Sammy are on the top rope, and that is when MJF pushes the both of them off the top rope and eliminates the two of them, severely upsetting Sammy Guevara. Sammy goes off, and it makes you wonder, did MJF do it on purpose? You know? Is this a sign into either of their futures with the inner circle? Um, Afterwards, it's revealed that Orange Cassidy was never eliminated, and after an Orange Fury, Wardlow is eliminated, and the stage is set. It will be MJF versus Orange Cassidy for the next AEW ring. Question number one. If Orange Cassidy wins, does it continue his solidity as a future star in all elite wrestling? And question number two. Will MJF have one for each pinky? I really like this matchup. I like the fact that the holder of the original AEW ring is in the running once again to get another one. I think that that's really fun and almost surprising. You think that they would give it to two people who don't have rings, but the fact that they threw MJF in the mix is really, really smart in my opinion. It's just great. Imagine if he wins it again. Imagine if he walks around with two rings on his pinky. Talk about building heat. It's going to be insufferable. It's going to be incredible. And also, on the other hand, if Orange wins a ring, it's going to be great because he's going to act like he literally doesn't give a shit about it. I can just see it now, him walking to the ring and, like, holding a limp hand up and being like, yeah, I have this. It's pretty cool, I guess. I don't know. But it's also really interesting because of the inner circle situation, which is a good segue into our next match, which is Chris Jericho versus Frankie Kazarian. Now, this was a slower match. And it more so revolved around what was going on outside the ring rather than what was going on inside the ring. And that's the tension within the inner circle. At one point, uh, Kazarian is on the cusp of making Jericho tap. And Ortiz kind of hops up on the apron and threatens to take him out with the sock full of baseballs. And Hager stops him from doing that. But afterwards, MJF runs from the back with a towel in his hands and acts as if he's going to throw the towel in for Jericho. That's when Sammy Guevara runs from the back and stops him from doing that, yanks the towel out of his hands, and that's what gets Jericho's attention. So Jericho sees Sammy with the towel and goes, what are you doing? And is obviously concerned, almost as if MJF was turning it on Sammy Guevara. And that's been my question all along. Are we going to see MJF try to get Sammy kicked out of the inner circle? And maybe we have. Maybe that's what he's been trying to do all along. But wait until the end of this segment. So, amongst all of this chaos, Frankie Kazarian almost wins a couple of times and then runs into a Judas effect. And Chris Jericho wins the match. And then an angry Jericho grabs a microphone and announces that next week there will be an ultimatum. He says that either everyone in the inner circle is going to get along or the inner circle breaks up forever. Now, if MJF's intentions were just to replace Sammy Guevara and get him kicked out of the inner circle, how does MJF feel knowing that he possibly may be the one person to bring the inner circle down completely? It's all wild. And is it all the doing of MJF? Is he doing this to take out Sammy, 
Or is he doing this to break down the inner circle from the inside out and just eradicate them completely? This is the most toxic and turbulent we've ever seen the inner circle. And I really, really liked all the questions that this whole situation uh, made appear in my head. And I'm just, I'm really excited to see where it goes. As far as I'm concerned, fantasy booking time, I just want to see MJF laugh maniacally. I want to see the inner circle break up and disappear. And then MJF just laugh maniacally that he's the one that did that. And then we'll get, um, I don't know, maybe another MJF and Jericho match where MJF legitimately just beats him, like, clean. You know, like, no surprise roll-ups, no, like, dirty work, nothing. He just legitimately pins him one, two, three after hitting his finisher maneuver on him. I think that would be really, really good because I see so much young Chris Jericho in MJF. I just, I think that he's probably going to be the most impressive future star of all elite wrestling, but that's just my opinion. We move on to the third match of the night, which is Dr. Britt Baker versus Layla Hirsch. Uh, Britt Baker is back and better than ever in her sassy heel character, and in my opinion, Layla Hirsch is a future star in AEW if she can find a charismatic gimmick to stand behind. Right now, she has everything going for her. She has the wrestling look. She definitely has the in-ring ability. She is phenomenal in the ring. But she needs something that gives her a little bit of pizzazz, something that gives her a little bit of uh, character. Because, see, Britt Baker, in my opinion, she had the gimmick. She had the look. But she didn't have the in-ring ability. She was a little slow, a little sloppy, a little tight, looked like she needed to loosen up a little bit, but what set Britt Baker off and what solidified her is that heel turn and the way that that heel turn happened. And I think that's proof that you need something to take you there because Layla Hirsch has all the wrestling ability in the world, but you're not really going to be able to relate to her if she's just good at wrestling. She needs something to latch onto, like Britt Baker on the other side of the sword, who almost, in my opinion, would have never worked as a babyface because her in-ring ability wasn't that good. But now that she's a heel, I don't care how bad she is in the ring, she's fantastic on the mic, and she can do dirty stuff in the ring really, really well, and that's fantastic. Um, let me see here. This match, however, wasn't really that grand. Um, it was short, and in my opinion, it was basically a setup for what took place afterwards, which was uh, Thunder Rosa attacking a victorious Britt Baker. Uh, we then have that classic moment where they're both in the ring wanting to rip each other's faces off and everybody's holding them back. And it's, it's kind of like that let them fight standoff. I'm just drooling at the idea of Thunder Rosa announcing that she's all elite and she is now with the company. At this point, it's almost obvious that it has to be done. And I don't know if I haven't been paying attention to the news or anything. I don't know if it's happened already. But as of right now, I don't know if it has. And I just really, really want it to happen. And I think Dr. Britt Baker would be a really good first feud for uh, Thunder Rosa in All Elite Wrestling. I think it would just be good for her character build up. And I don't know. I'm here for it. With that being said, we move on to match number four. And it is Cody Rhodes and Darby Allin versus Ricky Starks and Powerhouse Hobbs. Uh, in my opinion, 
this match was really carried by Hobbs and Darby. Hobbs just showcased his insane power and athletic abilities, and Darby showcased how ridiculously resilient he is. Um, Darby finally gets a hot tag onto Cody, and Cody does his thing, and we get a very, very clean win for Cody and Allen. Um, he delivers a disaster kick to Hobbs, getting rid of him, tossing him into the floor off the apron, and then he does a diving cutter onto Starks, and when he bounces onto the top rope, Darby tags his shin. He hits the cutter on Hobbs, he dives outside the ring onto, wait, no, 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 he hits the cutter on Starks, dives outside the ring onto Hobbs, and then Darby hits the coffin drop in the ring, getting the victory. The match is won. But Team Taz does not take this loss laying down. Surprise, surprise. They jump in the ring, and they're basically attacking Cody and Darby. And this brings in Arn Anderson. Arn Anderson handles things for just a few moments, but then he's taken out. And because of this, Dustin comes from the back. He also has a little bit of a flurry, does his thing for a little bit of a moment, but then he's taken out. And at this point, we have Team Taz holding up Cody Rhodes so Hobbs can hit him with the FTW Championship. And right before he does it, the lights go out. And on the Tron, we get this beautiful, landscapey video package of, like, snow and trees. And then I saw a crow. And I was like, hold the front door open for me. No way. And lo and behold, Sting walks out from the back, face pain and all, pulls a bat out of his jacket, and the ring just scatters. And then Sting, with snow falling in the arena, mind you, fucking beautiful, walks down to the ring and just looks at everybody. He gets an orange face. He squats down and looks at Cody. He goes over and looks at Dustin. And then he goes to Darby Allen, who's standing up in the corner, and he looks at him, and he looks at both sides of his face. And then he leaves. And I literally had my hands on my head this entire segment. Holy cannoli. Sting has debuted in All Elite Wrestling. Winter did indeed come. I did not play around when I said that at the beginning of this discussion. Winter came and winter came hard. And I loved everything about this. I loved the fact that it was a surprise. I loved the fact that it happened on national television on TNT where Sting freaking belongs. I loved when Tony Schiavone said it's Sting. Dude, I literally like had flashbacks to being a child. I'm getting kind of emotional thinking about it to be honest. Everything about this was insane. And it's all wrestling internet has been talking about because it has caused somewhat of a dismay and a discussion. And I want to make something very fucking clear. First of all, we all love professional wrestling. And at the end of the day, it's kind of ridiculous that we do. Okay? Professional wrestling is a very niche thing that there are a lot of people in the world that are into. And 
sometimes you have to take a step back and you have to shut the heck up and you have to be a wrestling fan, okay? There's so much tension within the community right now. And honestly, I like it, okay? I like the tension. I like the toxicity. I like seeing people argue over their opinions, especially when it comes to the professional wrestling fan base. It's almost necessary, but there is a moment where you just need to be quiet and let people have their moment. Okay, when I was growing up, I got into wrestling because of WCW. Okay, I didn't get into wrestling because of WWE. WWE is what I've watched more than anything else in my entire life, but also, it was all I had for the longest time. Or at least, what I thought I had. But you don't know the child in me that was crying <laughs> when Sting walked down to that ring on TNT and Tony Schiavone said his name. It was like I hopped back in a time machine and I was a little child once again in his Goldberg t-shirt like flexing in my bedroom watching wrestling on a Monday night. This was very, very special. And what we have to acknowledge with Sting being in AEW is that Sting just wants possibly that one good final run. And not, not everybody gets that, okay? Some people don't. Let's look at The Undertaker. I talked about The Undertaker a couple of weeks ago, and I stated that The Undertaker is probably the best character of all time that WWE has ever fabricated. But The Undertaker has had hiccups late in his career. You can't tell me that The Undertaker's career is perfect because of what we saw between him and Goldberg in Saudi Arabia. You can't tell me that The Undertaker's career is perfect because of all the mistakes that have happened along the way. In my opinion, The Undertaker's career took a really major shift after his loss to Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania 30. That was kind of when things started to crumble, and because of that, I do think that The Undertaker had a good send-off, and I do think that we will see a better one in the future, but people want a final good run. And I kind of feel like The Undertaker didn't really get that. I mean, maybe it's a tell of the times, but let's look at Sting's final run. His final run. Now, like a lot of people, I was blown away when Sting debuted in the WWE at Survivor Series 2014. I was baffled. I was floored. I could not believe my eyes. I thought it was great. But then what did we get? We got a weird match that did not make sense at WrestleMania where Triple H went over Sting for some reason. We got a strange loss to the Big Show on a random episode of SmackDown, I believe. And then we got a really solid match between him and Seth Rollins, but unfortunately, the buckle bomb really messed Sting up. And there for a long time, None of us ever thought that we would see Sting in a wrestling ring again. They put Sting in the Hall of Fame. Am I right about that? Am I imagining that? No, Sting's in the WWE Hall of Fame, which is very strange to think about. But regardless, regardless, he wants that good final run. And I believe that he knows that AEW will give it to him. And I think the reason AEW will give it to him is because AEW is going to focus on Sting the character and Sting the image. I don't think we're going to see Sting do anything crazy in AEW. And first of all, if Sting wants to wrestle, 
then that's what he's going to do. Just because we think he shouldn't doesn't mean that he's not going to. It's in his bones. It's in his blood. If he gets in that ring and he does a professional wrestling match, that's what he wants to do, and that's what we have to take into consideration. We all want him to be safe. We all want him to be careful, but I'm sure that somebody is going to go, you can't do this, you can't do that, you're not going to do this, and no one's going to do this to you, which is honestly what should have happened in Sting's match with Seth Rollins. They should have been like, don't do a buckle bomb in this match, period. But I don't know. I'm just I'm so freaking excited that Sting is back on TNT. I'm excited that he's back in AEW. Stop comparing him to fucking Goldberg. Trust me. When I was a little kid, I loved Goldberg. He was my favorite wrestler. But I was also like eight or nine years old. Okay, I'm a grown man now who knows way too much about professional wrestling. Goldberg is nowhere near the capacity that Sting is. Okay, period. And we also don't have... Vince in the equation who honestly probably cares a little bit more about marketing and money more than anything else. I think we're going to be fine. I'm excited that Sting is back in AEW. If you cried like I almost kind of did or if you full-on cried during this moment, bro, you're beautiful and that's exactly what you should do. This was insane. I could literally talk about it forever and ever, but I need to digress to the main event. John Moxley defending his AEW championship against Kenny Omega. First of all, we had two very great entrances. Um, Kenny's entrance was clean. Everything was great. Moxley's entrance was clean. Everything was great. Really good tension before the match started. And all I could think about was the hype that surrounds this match and how insane it is that it's happening on television. John Moxley has become one of the most talked about professional wrestlers in the world and I love the character that he has given us since he has debuted in AEW I've talked about it a few times before on this podcast but John Moxley has really proven to us that WWE did drop the ball with him he has proven to us what he is capable of and what they were missing out on and I think that that's very important to acknowledge and None of us can deny the greatness that is Kenny Omega. If you know anything about professional wrestling, not sports entertainment, professional wrestling, you know how insane Kenny Omega is. He's great. He always has been. He's good. Okay, professionals say that he's one of the greatest professional wrestlers of all time. I'm not a professional, so I can't argue with a professional when they say that. <laughs> but it is insane that this match is happening on television. So... This match was actually a lot more technical than I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be balls to the wall, crazy spots, jumping, diving, dipping, dodging, ducking, all that jazz, and it wasn't. For the first little bit, it was very technical, and I really, really liked that. It was a good thing, you know, build up. It's back and forth, leaning more towards Moxley throughout, and then he hits Omega with the paradigm shift out of nowhere, but instead of pinning him, he angrily brings two chairs into the ring. Now, I wondered what was going on in this situation. You, you just hit him with p the paradigm shift, like pin him. No, no, no. It's personal now. And maybe that's what Kenny wanted. Maybe Kenny wanted Moxley to go into this match with a hot head, so he would want to do something like this. Moxley leaves the ring, grabs two chairs. I think for a second that he's going to hit him and we're going to see a disqualification, that's not what happens. He sets the two chairs up. He sits in one. 
he invites Kenny to sit in the other one, and we get this beautiful moment where they're just slapping and punching each other while sitting in these chairs. It was really, really nice. Out of nowhere, Omega hits Moxley with the V-trigger while he's sitting in the chair. Crazy sight to see, and at this point, the match is pedaled to the metal. After this V-trigger, this match goes from like a 5 to like a 12 on the 10 scale. We get some really great sequences. We get some awesome counters. We get some false finishes. Things come to a head when Moxley takes Kenny outside of the ring and hits a paradigm shift into the giant space heaters. The referee runs out there, looks at Kenny Omega, and almost stops this match. He acts as if something has happened to Kenny's eyeball, and the match can go no further. Moxley looks a little bit aggravated. It's still up in the air. They haven't really come to the decision but it looks almost as if this referee is about to stop this match. John Moxley snaps, drags Kenny in the ring, and at this point, Don Callis from Impact, who is on commentary and knows Kenny pretty well, has kind of made his presence felt around the ring area, basically saying, like, no, you can't stop this match. This match is important. Come on, Kenny, you can do this. Moxley drags Kenny into the ring, and that's when Kenny... Uh, that's when Don Callis hops on the apron and basically distracts Moxley. Moxley hits him with a clothesline. Callis drops the microphone. It is then, at this moment, that Omega picks up the microphone and behind the referee's back, because he's checking on Callis, he hits Moxley in the forehead. Pow! With the microphone, just right there. Moxley's busted open. And Kenny just snaps. Kenny starts hitting him with vicious, vicious V-triggers just all over the place, super hard, and then he scoops Moxley up, hits him with the one-winged angel, and ladies and gentlemen, we have a new AEW champion. Moxley's reign has come to an end, and Kenny Omega's reign has just begun. First of all, John Moxley's title reign is one of the best that I've seen in modern time. I mean, I put it up there with Drew McIntyre's current reign without the hiccups, I guess you could say. But it's just really nice to see really good title reigns in 2020. And we've seen a lot of them this year from several different promotions. But boy howdy, John Moxley's was insane. It lasted a long time and not once did it ever feel boring or... Oh man, I want this to end. It was always great. And I think what we are going to see from John Moxley is probably a disappearance. I think John's probably going to go away for a while. He's going to be with Renee while she carries their child and brings it into the world. And we'll see him come back at some point. He'll probably come back at a pay per view event. That's what I'm thinking. But Kenny's reign is not only the beginning of something that I knew was going to happen eventually in AEW, a Kenny Omega World Championship title reign, but it's also the beginning of something that I did not think was going to happen on this episode of Dynamite. Kenny Omega and Don Callis obviously have this relationship. Don Callis jumps in the ring and just gets so excited, throws Kenny's arms up, and then they just run away. They barely celebrate. They start running out of the arena and it's, remember how this match, like, played out, okay? John Moxley 
didn't lose cleanly to Kenny Omega. He lost because of a bit of a distraction from another promotions guy and an illegal shot to the dome with a microphone. It was the, uh, this is going to be fun, the herd around the world. But what gets crazier is as they're running out of the arena, everybody is booing them. Tony Khan is like, what the heck is going on? And then at some point, Don Callis says that AEW screwed AEW. And they're running out of the building towards an SUV. And an interviewer finally catches up to him. And he's like, what's going on? What are you doing? And Don Callis says, you will find out this coming Tuesday. And the interviewer goes, but Dynamite is on Wednesdays. And Don Callis goes, yeah, Impact is on Tuesdays. Tune in. Kenny's going to drop what's going on. And I was floored. I was absolutely bodied. This was the best episode of Dynamite that they have ever given us. And I know that it was called Winter is Coming. I know it technically wasn't even an episode of Dynamite. I know that technically this was a pay-per-view event on national television. But this was incredible. Everything about this event was insane. And I'm still coming off the high that is Sting being on TNT in 2020. But now, I'm also higher because of the idea that Impact and AEW are about to grace us with some type of crossover, cross-promotional event. It's insane. It's insane. I, I have not tuned in. To, like, I keep up with Impact on Instagram uh, and, and YouTube. You know, just like watching clips and stuff like that. Just, you know, seeing, seeing things and stuff. But I haven't really paid attention to Impact since... In my opinion, like the glory days of Impact, which for me was when I was in high school. Like between 2003 and like eight was when I was really, really into TNA. And I know that there's certain people over there that could take on certain people from AEW and it would be absolutely incredible. But I think that this is a very, very good thing. I think this is... Shouts out to All Elite Wrestling for continuing to shake the world of professional wrestling up. Because that's exactly what they do. They, they shake things up. They give us things that we never thought we would see. And they're not afraid to take risks. If you told me that WWE was going to work with Impact, I would be excited for Impact. But I would be worried about WWE. But now that you're telling me that AEW is going to be working with Impact... I'm a bit excited for the both of them because I think that this is going to do great things for wrestling as a whole. And it just opens so many doors. And I, I don't know. Like, I think it's a bit of an invasion angle. I'm just baffled. I'm floored. This winter is coming thing was insane. And I really liked it because it was kind of a slow build. There was like a... Like, it just... It started off kind of like on cruise control and then as the night went on it just get like things were getting floored and before you know it, it's just a rocket ship taking off into outer space and whew, those ladder programs really really brought this thing around and it was just an insane event to take place on television um on the beard scale this episode winter is coming gets a beard that's covered in snowflakes because winter sure did come this year oh my goodness with all that being said, ladies and gentlemen, this is the end of Babylonia. Well, not the end. This is the end of this episode of Babylonia. <laughs> um, thank you 
so much for listening to me ramble about professional wrestling. Um, I apologize for this episode being so chaotic and all over the place. I'm just trying to get my shit together, and I think you could probably understand that a little bit. Um, anyways, thank you for listening. I will talk to you guys next week. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Babblemania. Don't forget that I do live reactions and watch-alongs to professional wrestling events over on my Twitch channel, Young Facial Hair. And also, don't forget that uh, I'm the Rap Game Bray Wyatt. Spotify link. All these links are in the description of this episode. Thank you for listening. Rest in peace, Pat Patterson. Stinger is back. Invasion angles. Smooches. Babylon. Babylon. Let's get to Babylon. It's all about some wrestling. Babylon. Hey. Babylon. Let's get to Babylon. It's all about some wrestling. <laughs>